This week, Pope Francis approved a substantive change to the Lord's Prayer. In its previous form, its penultimate clause read, Lead us not into temptation. His Holiness prefers a new reading, Do not let us fall into temptation, so that it blames the devil, not God, for leading us astray. It's not a good translation, he says, speaking of the translated Greek in the New Testament. I am the one who falls. It's not him pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you to get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. Supporters include caring fathers, those pushed, shoved, and inexplicably blumped into in the hallway, devil's food cake, and the devil himself. Critics include those that push, shove, and inexplicably bump into others in the hallway, God, who'd like a little more credit for his work in the Old Testament, and Catholics, who have to learn the whole damn prayer again. Welcome to Chorus and Kin, an entertainment podcast where two brothers talk about the things they love watching. I'm Rob. And I'm Tommy. This is also a podcast where one brother, being Rob, reads the book, and I do not. Today, we're discussing the first three episodes of Amazon Prime's limited series, Good Omens. Originally a book by Neil Gaiman and... Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. Well, if you have not seen the first three episodes of Good Omens, please go binge those and then come back to us, because spoiler alerts are coming. We're going to break down what's happened in the first three episodes and talk about our initial feelings afterwards. All right, Rob, let's break it down. What's going on in the first three episodes of Good Omens? The Antichrist has been born and set upon this earth, delivered by the demon Crowley to the nuns of the Chattering Order. And the nuns play themselves in trying to place the baby in the home of an American diplomat, place the Antichrist with a very ordinary family from a quaint English village. Crowley, an angel who did not so much fall as saunter vaguely downwards, seeks out the help of an old friend, the angel Aziraphale, to prevent the upcoming Armageddon. Crowley and Aziraphale set to the task of helping raise who they believe to be the Antichrist, hoping a proper balance of both good and evil balances the child out. Eleven years pass, at which point the Antichrist is meant to be sent a hound from hell. He will name the hound, and in the naming give the hound his purpose. This event begins the countdown to the coming apocalypse. Crowley and Aziraphale wait at the residence of the child named Warlock, now grown to be eleven years old. The hound never arrives. Instead, the hound pads to a boy in a quarry just outside a quaint English village. The boy's name is Adam. He names the hound Dog. Meanwhile... A descendant of the nice and accurate prophetic witch Agnes Nutter, a young woman by the name of Anathema Device, rents a cottage in the quaint English village of Tadfield. Why? Well, Agnes Nutter's book told her to, if she was to prevent the upcoming apocalypse. In their panic after realizing they had the wrong boy, Crowley and Aziraphale retrace their steps from 11 years prior. They run into Anathema. Anathema leaves the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, witch, in the car. Aziraphale takes the book to his shop to read. His cocoa gets cold. Meanwhile, still, certain characters around the world are being delivered packages, then immediately booking one-way flights to England, a fiery war correspondent and a thin dietitian. Meanwhile, even more still, a failed computer engineer named Newton Pulsifer joins the illustrious Witchfinder army. He is sent to the quaint village of Tadfield to investigate. It's three days to doomsday now, and the race is on. Only Crowley and Aziraphale struggle with where to be, their bosses, and each other. Adam and Anathema meet. Adam has big ideas about the way the world should be. Dreams, you might call them. They start coming true. And that's where we leave off. 
A lot of stuff's happening. Everything's moving fast. Thus far, seems like critics like the show. It's a pretty healthy, like, mixed response. I think critics, and I agree, I think, like, the biggest hit for me so far has been the chemistry between David Tennant, uh, the actor who plays Crowley, and Martin Sheen, the actor who plays Aziraphale. It's Uh, actually Michael Sheen, not Martin. It's... I'm pretty sure it's Martin. Nope, Martin Martin Sheen is uh, Charlie Sheen's dad. It's Michael Sheen. It's Michael Sheen? Yeah. Just so that I just open up the podcast, uh, proving my older brother wrong. I mean, to be fair, I am also just like watching the West Wing in between these episodes. Okay, so well, that's. I, I, uh, I do have Martin Sheen top of mind. You're right, it is Michael Sheen. Yeah. That is my bad. Michael Sheen. Anyway, I always there- get see. I always get actually Michael Sheen. I started to get him confused between him and Martin Freeman, because I feel like Martin Freeman would have been a good Aziraphale as well, and they look similar. I I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Martin Sheen. Actually, the original casting for this, because this has been they've been trying to make this movie for or this series for a while. I did not know that. Yeah, they um, Gaiman uh, adapted it because it was like Terry's dying dream to do so. That's what I figured. Yeah. And uh, originally, they had they had like fifty million dollars um, invested, and then um, they had Johnny Depp casted as Crowley, uh, and then so we dodged a bullet there. Yeah, and then I forget who they had casted as Aziraphale. Um, nonetheless, uh, it was in a in a post nine eleven pre Pirates of the Caribbean, so they thought no one wanted to see Johnny Depp in a series. Um, so it f- keep falling through. So. Good to see that we finally got it, uh, at least for Terry. But yeah, I would say the same. David Tennant and Michael Sheen's chemistry is really good uh, in this, as well as I feel like a little bit of avant-garde cinema, uh, the direction under, I don't know who the director is, can't remember, but he did direct um, Doctor Who. He directed a lot of seasons, Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes. Um definitely feel that in the same camp i think there's like a quirkiness to the storytelling that is very like doctor who-esque I also remember... too just like the mise-en-scene right the components of the setting that we can see on film that's what mise-en-scene stands for uh for those who did not take a film class in college um or fell asleep you know i fell asleep a lot but um yeah overall like the the vibe if you will of the show is really good douglas uh, mckinnon is the director yeah douglas mckinnon um yeah, it's really good. I think it's really well put together. The whole production is really, really well done. Um, I love the intro to episode three. That's like twenty-five minutes long before we actually get the the kind of the music and animation for the actual intro. Um, that's the best part, in my opinion, that we've seen thus far. And it's about Crowley and and Aziraphale from the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. We see them um, kind of go through the years. I uh, really loved like the bit about Hamlet, also the bit about Noah and his Ark. The Noah bit was the, great. We'll probably talk about Gordon. that a little bit more later. It's weird to me because I agree that like this is I think what audiences most want to see. I think we just want to like watch this friendship. Yeah. Uh, the entire time when they're not on screen, I just want that scene to end and for us to get back to Crowley and Aziraphale. At the same time, especially in episode three, it's such. It takes 30 minutes to get through that whole like montage of sequences developing this friendship. And it's all just like, it's a 30 minute aside in a 51 minute episode that has like no 
strong bearing on, on, on the narrative so far. Like, like we're yeah. not moving closer to the apocalypse in those 30 minutes. Yeah. It, um, so the pacing of the show, just in general, and this is like a great example of that, is just way off, it seems yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I, I was questioning whether or not the structure, if they could have just put that in the beginning, in the first episode. And I don't know, is what is that following the structure of the book? Or is that... I mean, when do we get that transition through time from the beginning of, with Adam and Eve um, from Aziraphale? Like, when do you get that in the book? So the opening scene of the show is, is more or less the opening scene of the book. Past that, I think we get, like, snippets of how Crowley and Aziraphale got to know each other. But, yeah, I haven't seen, like, there's no there's no, like you know, like a hundred page, 50 page passage that just like goes through all these events. A lot of this seemed to be written for the show. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm still finishing the the book. I'm trying to read it along with the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I feel like in the last, you know, 21 minutes or so of, of episode three, still a lot of filler. And we had, you know, we had great stuff happening at the end of two, when he gets the book, reads the prophecy and everything is true. Um, and then now we've, you know, at, at the end, we've located Adam, and now it's a matter of going to episode four. We have a lot of people interested in Adam, and we'll see them all converge, I imagine. Um, so I guess what I'm missing, at least, and I think we're going to agree on that, is that there's a lot of characters in, being introduced here. A lot of things are being explained to us by simply reading off a list of what you need to know, and that's where I like the avant-garde cinema. I think it's pretty good to have those transitionary animations and stuff like that to bring us the extra information that we're given in the book that we often sacrifice in this medium. Um, but nonetheless, there's so many characters being introduced that it kind of, I'm kind of losing sight of who's important and what's going on. Um, you know, Anathema comes into the story really quickly and then loses her book and I'm not really aware of what that book is. And then Michael, or I mean, uh, Aziraphale discovers it, um, and then we start getting the ball rolling forward. Um, I also think too, John Hamm's character, uh, not like in in that little group. What is that group called? Is that they're just are they all other angels? I mean, like they're the archangels. They're archangels. John Hamm yeah, is specifically Gabriel. I, think I feel like the I, they're they're like quirky, weird personalities are not really hitting, and I'm not sure. Like, John Hamm is, is playing a really good character, I think, and it's interesting, but it's just not, it's not working well as, um, as I'm watching it. Like, I, I'm at, like, those characters seem like they're really important because they can all of a sudden, you know, take Aziraphale down and, um, you know, completely destroy him because he hasn't been doing his job. Um, but I'm not really getting any of that tension, and that might be because we're moving forward so quickly. Yeah, I agree that they're. I think this show is suffering from being probably too bloated with characters, and to try to make up for that, uh, the show is leaning heavily on expository dialogue, uh, mostly through the, this voiceover narration, really that is explaining a lot to us over uh, the, the scene we're watching. So it, it's a lot to keep up with at one time. Uh, we're usually listening to like three or four voices at once, one of which is not on the screen. And yeah. And not only that, I mean, the, the writing itself is sharp. Like if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss things. And that, that includes jokes uh, yeah. that this show seems is quite funny at times, 
but if you're watching passively, you're going to miss things. Uh, yeah, and I and, think and it's yeah. unclear to me if like you're going to be willing to want to go through this again because this show doesn't move quickly. There is not a lot of tension here, even though we're running up to the apocalypse. Everything is very like hunky dory, matter of fact. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with your point that if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss a lot. Um, yeah, that's. It, but I think that's also what's attractive about it. I like things that are intellectually engaging when you watch them. Um, and David Tennant and Michael Sheen are just going back and forth with the dialogue really well. Um, I like the I like the characters thus far that they're playing as well. I think they're have they have enough differences. Um, and and two it kind of starts off with Crowley being introduced as this demon, but really he's a fallen angel, right? And so going back to you know him going back to his roots a little bit to work with the Zerafel. Um, I think that's at least displayed pretty well here. Um, but yeah, I do feel like it's whirlwind, a lot of stuff happening, and we're at the end of episode three. Similar to Game of Thrones, kind of feel like we got a lot, a lot of ground to make up in the next three. Well, episodes. It looks like the last three episodes are all going to be the day the world ends, like the next three hours. Oh, okay. Because yeah, when we wake up, it is doomsday. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. See, that's something I kind of missed. Um, also, what's going on with him going into the house and then it's branded by like the horseshoe, the hellhound? What? Why does it start glowing? Yeah, in the show, it's unclear. It's, it has to do with the hound. Um, remember, we and this is kind of strange too because uh, Francis McDormand, who's who's the voiceover uh, narration for this, who's also the voice of God is narrating like what the hound is about when the hound is approaching uh adam and his group in the quarry and the hellhound has to change to fit uh the specifications of adam and what adam wants is just like a small normal dog basically and there are these like growing changes happening with this hellhound is supposed to be like this this you know great companion that, that that rips the world asunder and, and helps the antichrist achieve this goal and instead he's enjoying messing around with cats chasing like hunting rats like doing things a normal dog would and apparently when they cross this threshold at the door this horse this horseshoe burns and like takes a bit of that like hellish instinct away from the hound interesting so he's becoming okay. more and more one with earth which is kind of what uh, which is kind of like the problem that Israfel and Crowley have is they're more attached to Earth than their respective uh, celestial bodies. And then let's discuss to um, the word ineffable. Yeah, ineffable, as defined by Merriam-Webster, means incapable of being expressed in words, unspeakable, not to be uttered, taboo. Uh, we hear this word described uh, used several times by Israfel to uh, illustrate God's plan. God's plan is ineffable. Can't be described. I feel like the best scene of this is going back to the Noah's Ark scene, where Crowley basically like lists out all the reasons why this is just like crazy and just frankly like batshit insane. Yeah, then Israfel's like, "Well, man, I can't explain it to you. We well, just got to watch it play out, baby. We're, we're gonna create this new thing <laughs> called a rainbow, so that to show that he'll never do it again." Yeah. Oh man. They lost the unicorn, too. Love that bit with the unicorn running through. Um, okay, now let's talk about Anthema. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, there are a couple terms here that I think 
you're going to have to know, I think, I think to pick up on like more of the, uh, the subtleties of what's going on in the show. Anathema being the second. Uh, again, Merriam-Webster defines Anathema as such, one that is cursed by ecclesiastical authority. Uh, ecclesiastical being uh, a member of the church, or one with the church. Someone or something intensely disliked or loathed. And we have a character that is constantly named Anathema Device. Uh, why is she named so? Uh, especially as the presumed hero of the story. Well, she's, uh, she's, now she's, is she part of the Witch Hunters? Or not? No, she is like a witch herself. She's a witch herself. And then there's the Witch Hunters. The, the, yeah. That, and that's where The Witch Finder Army. Yeah, the Witch Finder Army. And they're, and so this is where I'm getting confused. That's mainly it because Anathema is so new as a witch. And then we have the Witch Finder Army with, um... You know, we have what is it? Private. It's Pulsifer. Yeah, it's Private Pulsifer and Sergeant Shadwell. Yeah, and those characters were recently introduced to us in episode three. That seems super super quick, but yeah, let's. I mean, why why is she named Anathema? Because she's a witch. That's it. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about how they treat witches in this universe that is is, is kind of great is that it seems like. The reason why Agnes Nutter is put to the stake or found out as a witch is because she's just intelligent, and the Witchfinder Armory and society as a whole just like hates intelligent women, and so we've branded them as witches, and this is why we burn them at the stake. Uh, because we we learn that Agnes Nutter is actually like quite capable, uh, a woman of science and healing, and for whatever reason the community they're in doesn't want a part of that. And Anathema is is a descendant of Agnes. Again, it seems very sharp in her own right. Um, has what a, a strong de- deductive mind. Um, when we get glimpses of these these prophecies that Agnes wrote, they're very vague. Um, so for Anathema and and her previous descendants to like narrow them down to like place her in this this particular point in in, in time uh, is impressive. And apparently, one of these prophecies dictates that she is supposed to prevent the end of the apocalypse. This is why she's here. This is her. Her mission or goal. She has no idea how to do that. Um, but yeah. Uh, and why does Adam not have a aura? Is that because he's undetectable by. Yeah, Crowley mentions that there are like specific mechanisms, defenses in place oh, okay, right. that would to, make to protect him. him. Okay. Yeah. Very, very hard to find. That'll be interesting. Interesting to see how this plays out. Um, another character, before we move on, another character that just recently induced is a Famine. Right? This, the the black gentleman that goes into the diner selling chow, mm-hmm. which is not food, mm-hmm. but makes you feel like you ate food. Yeah. But it also may uh, cause Yeah, it's this huge, like, satirical element on fast food. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, does Famine have any... What is the What was the purpose of that? Because it seemed really random. Well, the four horsemen um, in the Bible are supposed to be uh, the bringers, uh, some, of the, some of the bringers of this Armageddon, uh, the rapture, what have you, depending on, you know. So is this the first reading. step, that one of the steps that we see? Yeah, and we also introduced. see war. Uh, you remember the redhead that shows up? Oh, right, right, right. PC. Okay, well, that's war. Yeah. Yeah, Neither okay. of these scenes, these scenes are both quite rushed. Yeah, and it, that's why I'm confused. We get an introduction in the book, and not to, like, do this comparison between book and film a hundred percent of the time. But in the book, we have a couple more scenes with war that, that more slowly introduces 
her so that we know what she's about. Uh, but basically, like, uh, as far as we know, these characters have been, like, lounging around Earth for thousands of years, just waiting for their, like, true purpose to emerge. Um, and have we been introduced to all four already? We've been introduced to two. Just and there are two more. There are, t- there are two more of the four horsemen. The one is named Pollution, and the other is Death. So I imagine Death... Is Death going to come into play next episode? Probably not. I, I w- it seems like they're doing one an episode... So well, I, who was the um, who was that zombie? Is that just another demon? The zombie that kind of brings the wrath upon the the nuns in the first episode. Oh, that's Hester. He's a Duke of Hell. So oh, okay, he's right, on right, like okay. A, he's on technically on Crowley's side. See, that's what I'm saying. These episodes might you might have to watch them a couple times. So much stuff going on. Yeah, I, so much of the text of the show and including the voiceover narration and the dialogue itself is ripped straight from the book like i'd say like about like 85 percent of these episodes are just like right from the novel yeah well um, so for me it's been really easy to, to digest yeah uh but yeah i can imagine for someone like you who hasn't i mean i mean yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's picking up quickly here. now how what from your yeah. imagination to what's given to you on screen are you impressed with the visuals, is it pretty much how you see it in your head, or do you see things on a, on a, on a better scale? Or, I mean, it's definitely very English. and I mean, the book is that way as well. I, I think that that's how we get, like, this very, uh, you, you know, there's, like, you know, this no tension, just like, oh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, sort of just, like, kind of bleak, like, slightly depressed, uh, like, atmosphere. As mm-hmm. we're telling this story, kind of absurdist a little bit. Oh, it's definitely absurdist. Yeah, I, I mean, I got like it, it's told in a, a, a similar style to like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, I, I had the, I thought the too. same exact yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, very much in that same vein, and almost shot the same way too. Like the yeah. just the whole production is feels very similar. Yeah, it's probably why I want Martin Freeman so much. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And maybe that's why I didn't cast them, but a little yeah. too close to home. So, yeah, it, it's strong. I think I'm just missing something. I think that one of the interesting things about Hitchhikers is I was thinking about this too, that I don't think we really care about Earth in Hitchhikers, but we do care about Arthur Dent. Mm-hmm. And I think in the same way, we don't really care about this Earth. And also, I, I mean, the... Good Omens has gone to great lengths to, like, show that, like, humans are the ones that have mostly fucked up the Earth. It hasn't been, like, this celestial war. It, like, humans usually get there first. Uh, like, World War Two is started by humans, not necessarily one side or the other. Uh, heaven or hell, like, pressed upon. Uh, these sort of things. Uh, climate change is a really big deal. This is another one of these uh, subjects satirized. And it looks... It, we'll see, I think, when we get to introducing pollution how much pollution had to do with climate change but i think it's going to be very little mm-hmm. and it'll be mostly humans that have done it to ourselves so it doesn't seem like this earth isn't great this like why would we care about this but we do care about aziraphale and crowley yeah i think we those want are them- the two characters we care about and the problem is is that there are so many characters and this narrative isn't necessarily revolving around them that they don't have to be on screen as much Yet I think we want them on screen almost 100% of the time. So there's this like weird tension going on. Yeah, I mean, is this a fantasy world we would want to live in? That's a good question. Uh, 
it's one for, like, it's always a question I want to ask myself because, like, again, we talked about way back when about Harry Potter and, and the problem with Fantastic Beasts is that it's not at Hogwarts. It's not at Hogwarts. And, like, really what audiences we want to do, we want to uh, embrace this fantastical world that's being presented to us. And for us, it's always been Hogwarts. And so if you're not taking us to Hogwarts, we don't really want to be in the Wizarding World. Uh, Game of Thrones, we never really asked ourselves this question when we were talking Game of Thrones. Uh, but I think the answer is probably no. <laughs> yeah. Not trying to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the world's uh, very cruel. Uh Chances are you're not going to be born into a, a noble house, and if you're not born into a noble house, you're basically fucked um, to die in some meaningless war. This world, uh, I think we'd want to, and the reason why is because I think we as humans are always really attracted to this idea that like our life is not in our hands, and in this fantastical world, this like makes this as truth and not to get like too hard like into like uh, a religious debate but like this mm. is one of like this is one of the areas you know when we go to the graveyard and they recount the tellings of the day between Haster and Crowley like they talk about yeah I convinced this priest to do something and uh, like put the thought in his head and we'll have him in a year you know and, and like this idea that like there are outside forces way beyond our control way beyond our our uh, ability to perceive them that are influencing like our small decisions and i think that like we generally like dig that yeah i mean for the most part i don't dig the fact that i don't have um that i don't have like my own thoughts or my own decisions are always going to be influenced by this omnipotent being i i don't vibe with that um at the same time though if I had an angel like Xerophel just coming in clutch whenever I needed him to, I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, I think, like, the dynamic between both, like, hell and heaven can work miracles. I think that that's, like, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I think yeah. that, like, they do also have a lot of fun playing with that. Yeah, I mean, I love, I mean, that first 30 minutes of them just evening each other out and them showing up together. I mean, even the the intro of them, you know, looking at Adam and Eve and just that imagery alone is like okay this is this is interesting so let's go let's kind of deconstruct the narrative of the most popular book in the world and let's play with it a little bit yeah is it not endearing how much and we said you know i said before that like we probably don't give a shit about this earth but is it not endearing how much aziraphale and crowley just seem to love it like when aziraphale just like is just so enamored with getting crepes that he just like completely forgets that he's in the middle of the French Revolution. Yeah. Like like just like little things like that. Like, yeah, no one talks about like crepes that much. Yeah, and it seems like too at the end of episode three when they have their discussion at the bandstand, it's um or gazebo. I don't know if that's an English term for a gazebo, uh, in the park, but you know, Aziraphale's really concerned with the Earth ending, and Crowley's like, well, fuck it, man. There is, this is a massive universe. We can go anywhere. And it's like, yeah, you know, Aziraphale wants to look out for Earth. But at the same time, we'd have to imagine that um, if God created Earth, he then created the universe. So there are other places. And that's what makes it so interesting, is that there... He says that, but then it's like, well, wait. 
But isn't this about man? I you think know, that, it's like, like yeah, I think that idea is also proposed when Aziraphale's kind of trying to ask around whether or not they actually have to go to war uh, with the contingent of archangels like Gabriel and Michael. And Aziraphale was like, well, there are, like, the universe is huge. Like, we can go fight hell somewhere else. Like, why does it have to be here? This place is so nice. And it's just like, no, it has to be this. It has to be this on this date, and we're going to win because it's ineffable. It's ineffable, bro. Yeah. But do we want to talk about the preconceptions we have about angels and demons before watching this show and how they're reinforced in Crowley and Aziraphale? Yeah, I mean, we're both raised Catholic, so I imagine we're coming in here to the show with some at least some familiarity with the bible and like some preconceptions about what angels are and what demons are like what demons look like uh i just think that there's so it's we're always so good focused right doing good right and and being good not sinning when we were raised that way we're so focused on the good but we at least I didn't have a perception of a, of a demon or a devil um, being as cool as Crowley. I never imagined him as David Tennant, just being being a bro and kind of tempting people into doing some. Yeah, I mean, I'm things. always going to want to hang out with David Tennant. I think. Yeah, so. it's like the it's like the little that would be bad in catechism to be like this is <laughs> this is the devil. He looks like hey man, David I'm, I'm kind of into this bad boy stuff. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but sinning sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, all I do, all I have to do is confess, right? Just say, you know, say a few prayers and we're good. Move on. It's a lot of prayers, man. So, God, I'd be reciting prayers for the rest of my life if I had to forgive every sin. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I think the balance, the the illustration of balance between them. Um, that's something that I feel like, you know, being religious before, I didn't really see it as balance. I didn't see, like, the negative and positive. I always just, you know, never blame yeah, never blamed did, a devil did, for anything. What did, what did an angel look like to you, like, physical characteristics? I mean, it's so hard. I've, I asked this question to myself before of what it, and it's just, like, it sucks because you're, you're just given the imagery right from the get-go, right? We never had... I never read the Bible, or, I mean, let's be honest, I haven't, haven't read the Bible. I've uh, never read parts of the Bible or in Bible school. Never, um, I was never just introduced to the text and then let my imagination go go for it. I always had the image of the wings and, you know, like a white male, right? Or like a lady. I always thought, thought lady, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like that's... Pretty much what they're giving us is what I would thought. Uh, now the wings, them being able to like uh, just look normal and human for sure. I thought I thought every homeless person was an angel, and I was like, they're just testing me. Really? Yeah, yeah. I would never give them money though. That's the messed up part. Well, occasionally. Yeah. So but now it's just like all these tests. it's like, dude, in Austin, it's hard. It's hard here. There's so many. I mean, it's hard probably in a lot of places. Yeah. I will spend all of my money if I gave money to all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, angels, right? Probably wearing, like, some sort of toga. 
Maybe some, like, gold leaves in their hair. I don't know. Very Roman. I don't know why, like, all angels in, like, our traditional, like, iconography of them, like, just look, like, very Roman. And also, yeah, you're right. They're all white, which is just, like, completely off base from where all of this takes place. Yeah, like, I like to imagine my angels wearing some, I don't know, some sort of um, Yeezy. Maybe some some Yeezy uh, spandex. Maybe some big shoes on. What about What about the other way? Going the other way. What about devils, demons? Um, yeah, yakuza. The yakuza look. They have to be wearing black suits, just like um, Mr. Smith from the from Matrix. Matrix. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what I would imagine. Um, someone approached me in a dark black suit, looking like John Wick. Told me that I should uh, not recycle, not recycle my Gatorade bottle, but throw it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Probably listen to them. Yeah, it's pretty dastardly. In- instant sin. Instant sin. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, for a while, I was uh, recycling tissue paper. Recently learned that you uh, you can't can't recycle tissue paper. Not supposed to. Yeah, there are a lot of really, like, small things that we can't recycle, like plastic straws aren't uh, recyclable material. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wandering from the point. That's weird that you thought that just, like, black suit and tie, which is closer to, I think, of what our, the portrayal in Good Omens is. Because, I don't know, like, we used, like, see, like, shadow, like, creatures with, like, red glowing eyes. Or, like, you know, like, the impish, like, fork-tailed, red-looking creature. Like, that's what I always imagined. I was, ooh, one of the interesting things, too, is that, like, hell isn't in the Bible, like, necessarily defined. I think we get a better definition of what the setting of hell looks like, like, in Paradise Lost the epic poem by John Milton that adds, like, flames and purpose to, to like, mm-hmm. and, and, like, physical characteristics to this realm. And that, that's something, too, like, we don't, we don't really see Crowley going to his bosses. Because, are his bosses technically the Dukes? Because, like, he, I see him on the... F- yeah, I think this, uh, this show has got a great links to, like, we're never going to see God, and we're never going to see Satan or what have you. Um, and, and you know, there are perhaps various reasons for that. I think most of them is that we're always going to be underwhelmed. Like these are such uh, huge cultural entities um, that have also never been like visualized in any sort of way. So, like being the first to visualize that, like how do you, you know, show something as God and make it okay? Unless it's Morgan Freeman. Or Al Pacino for the devil. Yeah, I, I mean those two are great, but I easy cast. Yeah, so <laughs> just saying, if you need a casting director or a couple, just let us know. Send us an email. We'll cast for you. Um. But yeah, I. Yeah, so I think instead, in lieu of that, and I mean Francis McDormand is 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 the voice of God here, but in lieu of that, yeah, we have we have Haster. And man, I can't remember the other guy's name now. Uh, Hastner and his buddy uh, on the side of the demons, and then we have like Gabriel Angel, Gabriel Michael, at all on the other side. Yeah. But let's talk about the satire, Rob. What are you know? What are we making fun of here? I think thus far, I mean that we we talked about Chow a little bit, and that's hilarious. By the way, just that whole that whole bit was really funny. Um, 
But I mean, what's what is like the whole theme of the show? Is that like good and evil working together? I don't there's know. I mean, just, going like, back to this idea balance. of like of like preconceptions on what good and evil is, I think that you know we take these preconceptions going in, and we find that through Aziraphale and Crowley, that everything's a lot closer towards the middle. Like if we thought like good was on one side of the spectrum and evil was on the other, that everything kind of is closer to the middle than we think. It's just algebra, man. Um, we have several times. Uh, Crowley and Aziraphale uh, throughout several times in the show like have trouble discerning like whether or not it was an act of God or an act of hell. Like perpetrate the <laughs> perpetrated this event was like, hey was that one of yours or one of ours and uh, I don't know. It's like yeah I don't know what department that yeah, is. Yeah, so I think like that's fun to play around with it that like the opposite ends of the spectrum are perhaps maybe more related than they are different. I have more in common than they do different. Um, so I think that that's one of the things we're playing with. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer when we haven't finished the show. It's almost something I'd rather revisit uh, next time when we do, when we're finished with episodes four through six, to see what it is uh, that's that we're going to. At the same time, I mean, they're doing a lot. Of, I mean, most of the jokes are satirizing something. Yeah. Large or small. And I think we really saw a lot of that this most recent episode in episode three. In that, in that intro series when they're going through like the the best parts of um you know of our history and how they start trading off right and they're like hey you you take this one right because at the end of the day it doesn't matter maybe i can influence this this net you know negatively um as crowley or xerophel can just go in and have some po- positive influence on the right people might, yeah, their agreement is all about like the, this this perfect balance, which is also what they're trying to do with this kid. Yeah, that, you know, the idea of like normalcy or like uh, the the ideal nature of the world seems to be a perfect balance between good and evil things, which is not necessarily what we're taught. Like we're taught that we're going to fail. Or sin in that case, going back to you know catechism. Yeah, the good should prevail. Yeah, that there but, is but not like, ultimately an equal like yeah, your pile of good things needs to vastly outweigh your pile pile of bad things. Yeah. And Terrasante. And Terrasante. And Terrasante. And Terrasante. Yeah, I mean overall, I, I'm liking it thus far. Good Omens is it's pretty good. Pretty good. It's doing well. But what's What's after, you know, after episodes four through six, what are we looking at, Rob? Where, are we, where do we think about going? Because Dark Phoenix apparently is just trash. Yeah, Dark Phoenix is not looking too hot. Uh, forgive the pun, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Phoenix didn't do well. Um, I mean, the, all the critics are just kind of turning me away from seeing that. I think that, I mean, at the same time, this is the end of that whole franchise for now marvel studios owns it i imagine in the next 10 years it's going to get rebooted again and we're going to fold the x-men into the mcu somehow changing subjects entirely yeah but um you know next episode we're going to cover episode four through six of good omens we'll see how that finishes out i think it should be pretty good 
So please go watch it if you're interested in the next episode. But then, past that, we got Toy Story 4, about to make us cry in the theater as grown men. Man, if we're still the target audience for that... Dude, I'm going to be all up in my feels. And plus, Key and Peel, Key and Peel being those plushes, that's going to be hilarious. It's going to be pretty good. Because um, I haven't really seen an animated film Ooh. since Shit. Sausage Party. Our power just went off uh, in the room we're recording in. Yeah. Scared I think us. another Transformer blew. Wow. It, it blew earlier this week. What's cool is that you can record <laughs> offline. We can still record. We can that, still that's record. That's the great part. But yeah, we're now recording in the dark. Um, either Crowley or Xerophel or the powers that be did not like the way we were discussing this. Or the Illuminati. Yeah, that's possible too. But, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is It is dark in here. I don't know, man. Um, after... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see Toy Story 4. I think after that... We might have like a week off where we can cover, I don't know, something old. Yeah, I mean, Netflix Netflix has a lot of stuff popping off yeah. right now. Um, uh, now They See Us is is doing yeah, really well. I think yeah, that could be, be something. Watch. Uh, that's something I'm definitely interested in watching. We also got Chernobyl on, on HBO, HBO that we could yeah. look at. Yep, now, there. we could do another two-parter, try and cover a lot of content. Could yeah. do a two-parter on that, or just do a one-parter. Maybe just yeah. talk about our initial reaction from binging in, that in season. In July, I, looking ahead even to July, there's a lot of stuff that I think that I'm looking at that's interesting. Uh, I'm really excited for Ari Aster's horror film, Midsummer. Yes, I've heard. Yeah, I, scared I read the shit out of me last year. Um, is it J- Jordan Peele, right, is directing, directed us in Get Out, right? Not, yeah. Yeah, so Jordan Peele, yeah, he, I saw an article. He, he had texted... Uh, the director of Midsummer, and was just like, man, that was the, you know, uh, most creative horror film I've seen. The last 30 minutes apparently are supposed to be just like a hereditary feel of just, you know, the most atrocious is, I think, the word he used. So That's exciting. I'm certainly, yeah. And this I'm, is all taking place in the daytime, too, yeah, which and, I think is just a very, uh, you know, creative and aggressive approach yeah i'm scared i'm scared to watch it because of how freaked out i might be leaving that theater i'm scared and so excited uh we got all the feels and then july 4th we got stranger things season three and you haven't watched stranger things season one and two yeah i started it but i just couldn't get over winona Ryder's character man it was too it was too dramatic for me in the beginning so i'll revisit it for the pod i'll do it for the pod we'll make that we'll make that a shirt and we got spider-man the next post oh my god far from MCU starts with Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, it's so good. If you haven't seen the trailer for that and you've seen Endgame, go do yourself a favor, go see that. If you haven't seen the if you haven't seen Endgame, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, if you don't want to see it though, you could always listen to our podcast on it and just get the spark notes. Feel good about yourself. Shameless self-promotion. Yeah. Well, I think uh that'll do it for us here today at Chorus and Kin. You can find our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud under Chorus and Kin. If you've got a comment or a question, you can read it, reach us at chorusandkin at gmail.com. That's chorusandkin at gmail.com. All right, man. See you at the other end of Armageddon, I guess. Yes, I'm going to try and find my way out of your apartment in the dark. Yeah, hopefully the power comes back on. God, why? Stuff why? To do. Why do they do this to us, Rob? Yeah. Damn it, Crowley. <laughs>